This episode may contain explicit language and themes such as sexual assault and violence. Listener discretion is advised. We have to remember that Carl was considered, I don't want to say a god, but like, you know, people basically worship the ground that Carl walked on. I'm Dan Johnstone, and this is Hillsong, a megachurch shattered from Discovery+. Plus. On February 16th, 2022, the trailer for Hillsong, A Megachurch Exposed, was released. Our team was excited, but nervous to share the first glimpse of what amounted to over a year of hard work and many emotional highs and lows. In the first 24 hours, it had over a million views, thousands of shares, and comments flooded YouTube and social media. We were in awe, but even then we had no idea what was coming just ahead. In the weeks leading up to and following the release of the documentary, All hell broke loose inside Hillsong. A shocking series of events and disclosures hit front page news, and the pillars that once held Hillsong to extraordinary heights began crashing down. The documentary came out, and around the same time, a lot of things happened within Hillsong. The day before the documentary came out, correct? Like, it was publicly announced that Brian was, you know, no longer the official leader of Hillsong. Yeah, March uh, 23rd, Brian Houston resigns. I would say that he had no choice but to resign. Absolutely. And then the documentary comes out on March 24th. Yeah, how did you feel about that? I have never been part of something that even has the impression of causing real-time change. Hmm. Ultimately, I hoped it was for the good. I think the one of the important things to mention is that Hillsong knew when the documentary was coming out. Really? They knew the date of release. As part of making a documentary about this and part of talking about Brian, talking about Hillsong, talking about Carl, I personally sent letters, emails, phone calls, and Instagram DMs to all of them to say, hey, we're making this, would love for you to... To, to speak on it, to, to speak to us, we'd love to interview you. Um, and they all refused. Either they said nothing or they refused. And so, yeah, trailer comes out February 16th, um, March 18th, so six days before the documentary is released. I am, I start getting in the evening, I start getting a lot of text messages from some confidential sources saying there's an emergency meeting at Hillsong. It's all staff, all hands on deck, emergency meeting. And everybody was kind of taken aback, like, oh, wow, something's happening. Me personally, how it felt from the outside was that that was a hastily organized meeting to discuss what they thought was going to be in the documentary. Really? I, I thought it was sort of a, a game of brinksmanship, we quickly better say some things that are vulnerabilities to us. We should get ahead of it. The contents of this emergency meeting were leaked to an Australian publication called Crikey and investigative reporter David Hardacre, who has covered Hillsong for years. In it, interim pastor Phil Dooley goes into detail about two separate instances of misconduct by Brian Houston. Misconduct the church had known about for years. Misconduct I have to speculate Hillsong worried might be covered in our doc. Otherwise, why would they come clean now? The timing just felt odd. So March 24th, the documentary comes out. April 8th, Bobby Houston is made redundant from Hillsong. Brian tweets their 
text exchange, his feelings about it. A number of Hillsong pastors resign, Atlanta, Arizona, which is important. It's Arizona because that's where the campus is in America. And then we can't forget that this is also while Brian is still under a criminal investigation into covering up his father's crimes. Um, his father's crimes being sexual assault of a minor. Or I guess rape of a minor. Brian continues to deny these charges against him and is pleading not guilty. So yeah, we have this two-month period where the Hillsong we were looking at when we started the film is utterly different than the Hillsong we saw at the end of the film. We're not saying we caused this. We're not saying that we were the the straw that broke the camel's back. But the documentary and what it is saying, what it was looking at, suddenly becomes part of this conversation. There was a clear change. April 11th, the internal investigation of Hillsong NYC and Carl Lentz's leadership is leaked through the Christian Post newspaper. The investigation, completed by a law firm in New York City, was commissioned by Hillsong itself shortly after Carl's firing. Now, a year and a half later, it's suddenly reported on by Christian Post journalist Leonardo Blair. The full document was never leaked. Leonardo published excerpts from the report and summations of certain findings, and still, it's far more damning than I could ever have imagined. I don't think anyone saw this coming. The article was packed with allegations of mental and emotional damage inflicted by Carl Lentz and other Hillsong New York City leaders. Multiple staff and volunteers reported that Lentz caused them to suffer from mental illness as a result. According to the Christian Post, the report contains allegations detailing the disturbing depth of Carl's adulterous sexual promiscuity that seemed to spread amongst the church staff, with multiple incidents of consensual or non-consensual sexual interaction between church leaders and congregants, staff, volunteers, or non-churchgoers. The report also claims Lentz admitted to having three affairs, one of which was with his nanny, Leona Kimes, whom with he engaged in, quote, more than 20 but less than 100 sexual acts, end quote, that he referred to as, quote, manipulated intimacy, end quote. Carl himself admitted to covering all of this up by being a, quote, unquote, good liar. And, what's more, the article painted a picture of a culture where accountability was non-existent and Carl's power reigned supreme. It was a culture that Delali and others at Hillsong, New York City, endured for years. The thing I think is most important for you and you in this is that it's talking about you. It's talking I mean, about a group that you were a part of. Not you specifically, yeah, but right. it's talking about something that you were connected to. What were, your, uh, what were your first impressions when you read it? My immediate reaction when I read it was this is a much, much, much bigger story than we reported on. It's a much, much bigger story than we had access to tell. Mm -hmm. And I think how deep this goes um, and how explosive it feels reading it it is amazing that we didn't get anywhere close to any of it when it came out and i read it my initial thought was you know obviously nobody should come out of a, an experience let alone a religious organization with mental trauma right? right but any kind of trauma any kind of trauma and those same leaders weren't always the greatest people yeah. And it was almost like monkey see, monkey do. And I'm not saying that everything that they saw Carl doing, they would replicate. But there was a sense of free reign, right? Well, I think it's interesting to say. So you're saying that from your own point of view as being a part of it, because that's what the report says also. Yeah, 100%. Right. 
100%. We did our own thing, led by Carl. Right. And it kept growing. So that was okay until it became just unsupervised foolishness. <laughs> it just became like unsupervised, like fuckery, you know? So then you get people who were leaders who were kind of didn't know what they were doing. And they misled a lot of people, a lot of people. I feel like I need a little bit of clarity on that. Okay. Like, what do you misled how? With great power comes great responsibility. When you call yourself a pastor, just that word just comes with a lot of responsibility that I think most pastors did not, could not handle. When you're led by example and you see that the example is just like bending the rules. Cool. I'm going to bend the rules, but then sometimes the rules were bent too much and it, it created um, unhealthy spaces. Right. As a pastor, your duty is to follow and teach the example set by Jesus. And yes, Jesus was a rule breaker in his day. He dined with sinners, touched lepers and flipped tables in a temple. But each rule Jesus broke, he did so in service of another. With Carl, it seems like each rule was broken in service of himself and fame and power. According to the report, that was the example he set for those under him to follow. An example that according to Dalali, many did. What do you think would happen if Carl made a comeback like this weekend? He sent out a message that he was going to speak. I think a lot of people would have a lot of questions. I think a lot of people will feel frustrated. Um, Okay. I think if he kind of announced like, hey, I'm going to be in New York. I'm going to be doing a and a the lines will be around the block for sure. If he just kind of came out of hiatus and be like, I'm back, you know, being a pastor and let me tell you about Jesus, um, people will be like, yeah, no, read the room. In this report, There are a number of things that are alarming, I think. Um, But there's one, I think, that gets brought up. The one phrase that sort of jumped out and I think I stick on is um, manipulated intimacy, which um, feels like a very dense term. Um, I'm not sure how to unpack it without taking a hard turn one way or the other. But I'll just read it in the context of how how it is used. According to the Christian Post, the report claims that Lentz admitted to subliminally encouraging a relationship with the married Kimes, with whom he engaged in at least 20 but less than 100 sex acts, which he described as manipulated intimacy. To clarify, the married Kimes the report refers to is Leona Kimes, who at the time was Carl and Laura Lentz's full-time nanny, who was also employed through Hillsong Church. Before this report was even leaked, Leona had come forward with her story in a post on Medium, where she claimed Carl's advances were unwanted. In it, she wrote, I was physically violated by his unwanted and repeated sexual touching of my intimate areas. I froze. Every time, I froze. This is a direct quote from the report. There are certain things in Carl's life that would make him feel a dangerous or pleasurable feeling. He called it manipulated intimacy. Wow. Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, how do you, knowing him, how do you interpret that? The thing is, it, it it makes sense because Carl was only surrounded by yes people throughout the years. Basically, everything that he wanted 
was done by somebody. So this thing that's like dangerous, that's pleasurable, kind of toying around it, whatever he wanted, it would make sense that he would get it from her. Um, And also the fact that like, you know, we have to remember that Carl was considered... I don't want to say a god, but like, you know, people basically worship the ground that Carl walked on. So um, the power dynamic between both of them was definitely such that like Leona wouldn't have been comfortable telling him no, especially if it's things that are kind of like blurry, where the lines are a little bit blurry, you know? The thing that stands out to me, and it's something that you had mentioned, I think actually in our first ever conversation, Everyone that I've spoken to that has had any interaction with him talks about him having a very focused and pointed connection with you. And it happens very, very quickly. He instantly just went for the one-to-one. And that like leveling of the gaze or hand on the arm made that person feel like they were the only person that he was talking to. People that have had like minor interactions with him talk about just this laser beam of connection. Um, And then when you bring that into a, even more private space, he knew that when he connected with you, you're under a spell. And so as I interpret that, when the terms dangerous and pleasurable are used, it makes me feel it is something that he is aware that he can do and is doing it. That's how I read it. Everything that people say that he could do, he knew that he could do. I agree with you. And I think that was definitely used to his advantage to get what he wanted, whether it was... Uh, you know, a video done for me or a sermon from somebody else last minute or a bagel brought to him or manipulated intimacy. Like that power was definitely built on connection with people. And then he used it to his advantage. He had the controls because he had the power controls. He had the, you're working for me controls and we're doing all of this stuff for God. And then that's, and then the intimacy was able to be manipulated in that space. So many interpretations and so much meaning can be packed into just two simple words that are anything but simple. But what's very clear from the report is that Carl and Hillsong, New York City, cross many lines. Lines that are drawn in secular society, let alone a church. But while the report isolates Carl and the leadership of Hillsong NYC, I'm curious about how it reflects back on Hillsong itself. There she is. Hello. So I've decided to meet up with Loxie Gant, who appeared in the documentary to help us dissect the Royal Commission documents on Frank Houston and Hillsong's subsequent response. Loxie is a counsellor and an expert on institutional abuse and how it's perpetuated. Loxie, why don't you tell me how have things been since we last saw you in the, on the dock? It's been a year. The doc coming out, my business shifted into a lot of people deprogramming from big religious organizations, mega churches, or um, or work groups. And so it was really interesting how much of overlap I really saw after you know the deep dive into Hillsong and how much it applied to all my other work. Um, I know we've talked about this a lot, but I've never actually asked. What is? Can you tell me like what deprogramming means? 
Yeah. Deprogramming is the opposite of programming. It's the process of recalibrating reality versus versus whatever has been told to you by the people trying to control you. It's interesting to think about how you can have positive reinforcement within a negative environment. Yeah. And I think that is a lot of what I've noticed from talking to people from Hillsong and talking from people from other institutions similar to in that they, the, the ultimate belief is good, but the way in which the institution achieves that good is sometimes through sort of negative means or, or means that make you feel sort of subservient to something else. Yeah. And that's really a big part of the deprogramming too, is separating positive from the negative and realizing that those two things can coexist and not all of the entire experience was bad. I certainly appreciate all the work that you do. I appreciate the work that you've done for me to focus it back on the Hillsong. So this report comes out from a legal firm and we tried as hard as we could to try and get the actual source. We've confirmed the source. We've asked the people who publish excerpts from it. Um, but I think just from your work and your background, what is it, um, why would, why would an institution like Hillsong even do a report like this? Well, it actually is really common for organizations to hire a law firm to do an quote unquote independent investigation. So technically the organization is the client. So when you do something like this, the outcome is usually favorable to the organization to some extent in reading this article, you know, a lot of what the investigation, quote unquote, led me to is pinning a lot of it on Hillsong America um, with very little consideration about how Hillsong culture or even how Hillsong as a, as a global organization had handled sexual misconduct allegations in the past. This was purely a look at East Coast and how that was to blame. I, I feel like the, this report clearly delineates New York and Carl. So that whatever the reaction is from that, they can say, despite the awful nature of this leadership and what was happening and it being, you know, wheels off, we dealt with it because we have isolated the problem and we have cut it out. I read it as the institution wanting to distance themselves from the scandal and show that they were in the dark and they had no idea and that they're going to take what they learned and apply it. However, I have very little reason to believe that um, that in earnest, that's what they want. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's move on to the part that is the m most sensitive because of its subject matter. And I would like to state, first of all, these are sensitive, personal and difficult matters to deal with. And discussing them is very, it, there's a lot of trepidation in dealing with these kind of things, but it is to do with sex and sexual abuse um, and sexual misconduct. I'll read from the Christian Post. When interviewed in December 2020 about his sexual misconduct, which allegedly included massages, three affairs, and exposing himself to his housekeeper, investigators said Lentz appeared to be generally forthcoming and candid about most of it. Last year, Leona Kimes, who served as a nanny for, for Lentz and his wife for seven years and currently leads Hillsong Boston with her husband, Josh Kimes, accused Lentz of 
quote, repeated sexual touching, end quote, in a post on Medium. Lentz, who describes Leona Kimes as someone who, quote, got her identity from the Lentz family, end quote, admits to subliminally encouraging a relationship with a married Kimes with whom he engaged in at least 20 but less than 100 sex acts. The report goes on to describe Carl's wife, Laura, catching them in the act one night after Leona had tried marijuana for the first time. Laura stood and watched while Carl rubbed Leona's legs and they touched hands. According to the report, Laura reacted by punching Leona in the face multiple times. Then Carl and Leona allegedly gaslit Laura into doubting her own eyes. Laura Lentz said at that point she wanted Kimes out of their lives, but her husband convinced her to keep Kimes on because it was better to keep your friends close but keep your enemies closer. Kimes also wanted to get out of the situation, but Lentz allegedly told her, you think you could get another job? You don't even have a college degree. Yeah, I mean, in, in these quotes, there is sexual misconduct. There's physical um, physical assault, punching her in the face. Drug use. Um, gaslighting. Yeah. I think the statement of keep your friends close and your enemies closer is somehow Carl saying that Leona's the enemy of their marriage instead of Carl being the enemy of their marriage. And I hate that he said that she got her identity from the Lentz family. You know, that's very much saying in a way that she owed them this. Well, and then, you know, there's this question of how much control did she really have to say no? She was employed and part of her wages and employment was based on her being willing to comply with Carl. So you had to comply by his wishes and his demands. Or was it just feeling a pure sense of false idol worship for a guy that she was told is, you know, the next big thing and that he needed to be protected at all costs? Yeah. I think to tie this back to our documentary is the line that he's crossing is his consistent preaching of purity culture. We have heard in the documentary the impact of that preaching of purity culture on people that were under his um, direction. One of the reasons I want to speak to Carl is because I want to say to him, how do you reconcile those two lives, not with yourself, but with the people that you were preaching to? How do you speak to the people that you brought down judgment, guidance, and prescriptive behavior on? Because they're the people that are hurting the most. That she was reporting this. She was sounding an alarm. These allegations from the report, this behavior displayed by Carl Lentz, is what Hillsong Global seems so eager to distance itself from. But for a decade, Hillsong helped establish and supported Hillsong NYC's identity and culture that grew closer and closer to secular mainstream. So I can't help but wonder, what did they expect? When you do cross church culture and pop culture, it feels to me dealing in a strange space because pop culture is is the selling of image. There's sex and there's attraction and there's envy and ego and a lot of things that make us use the word rock star as a catch-all for somebody that is flamboyant and larger than life and money and power money and power reading the report i'm just reading that being like yeah this is this is why pop culture exists (laughs) externally from religious culture right there's so much of that celebrity crossover power 
where the idea in Christianity is don't worship a false idol. These preachers become the false idols that are then being worshipped. Yeah, 100%. And then leading back to the report, when you combine that power, when you combine that glory, fame, impact, you get this, which is, is problematic. I feel like religion in general can put you in a very vulnerable state because you are looking for something. Well, yeah, people go to religion in order to make sense of earthly things that they can't quantify. And then evangelicalism has always been on that precipice of what people want at that moment in time. And that's how they've been able to stay. Once TV was there, it was getting into family TVs and it's Christian radio and it's Christian music and it's finding ways to access people wherever they are at. What Carl Lentz was able to do was penetrate like a quote unquote Illuminati status of celebrity that hadn't been connected to before. And that's why Brian Houston is an evil genius and plucked him out and made him what he made him. Building from that, I'm going to read another quote here from the from the report. The Australian mothership never established effective oversight and accountability for the New York lead pastor. Investigators said this lack of oversight permitted Carl Lentz to assume the role of final arbiter of what was proper behavior for everyone in New York, himself included. With the benefit of hindsight, given Lentz's personal imitations, this was a recipe for trouble. There was no handling of that situation in the way that it should have been handled in in lots of different levels. And what strikes me is this situation is that it was dealt with once it came out, and we don't know how long they knew about these things, but it was quick and decisive. It was it was Carl and it was and it was Carl and it was Hillsong NYC. And this is what's happened. This is how awful it was, but we have dealt with it and it needs to be better and we can do better. That's what I take mainly from the report is that they acted quick and swiftly and othered it very, very quickly. Correct. Um, where there's in other situations that we discussed in the documentary, they didn't do that. I have to question why Hillsong would even feel the need to do an independent investigation like this. If they believed Hillsong NYC to truly be an outlier, a part of the church that grew towards darkness and lost its way, if they really wanted to fix the culture that had been perpetuated there, why wouldn't they have gone there themselves to talk to their staffers, their volunteers, and their congregants, and allow people to open up about the issues? In the report itself, it seems clear that Hillsong Global actually heard about the complaints against Carl while they were happening, but ignored the warning signs. Tolu Batters was an employee staff member. This is from the report. Stated that she had conversations with Global where they understood that Carl Lentz was a challenging person. She stated that it was sort of implied that Lentz was a younger version of Brian Houston and that she should stay in it and Lentz would change, investigators noted. This crosses over from that was just New York NYC. She's referring to the global leadership of, of Hillsong, that she was reporting this. She was sounding an alarm. Well, if you're reporting that someone is a challenging person, you're saying that they don't act in an ideal way of someone in a leadership role. And by validating that that's how Brian Houston is too, in a way tells her that's acceptable here. It's going to be okay. You just have to stick it out and deal with it. And he'll grow up eventually. We dealt with that with Brian. It's a, it's a classic PR thing. I do think that them correlating 
the actions of Lentz to the actions of Houston looks way more damaging for them than for anything else. From the excerpts published from the report, it clearly paints a picture of Carl Lentz far beyond just being a challenging person. It paints a picture of a manipulator, a liar, and an abuser. Without the full document, it's hard to get a sense of what, specifically, was actually reported to Hillsong Global. But even before this leak, I wondered how could the abusive culture at Hillsong NYC have been kept in the dark for so long? And one section in the report seems to provide an answer. From the Christian Post, the report further details how sexual misconduct, including multiple misdeeds by Lentz and the alleged circulation by other staffers of penis photos to staffers and volunteers, was covered up. Some who gave depositions claimed that many who reported or attempt to report misconduct face retaliation. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot in there. They're just challenging words and and uh, conclusions to read. Yeah. And I wonder, Loxie, if you can talk about this from an institutional point of view. Um, retaliation. Um, many who reported or attempted to report misconduct face retaliation. It's common, um, be it just through a threat or it could be even a spiritual form of retaliation, of faith or trust in the organization. To me, it shows a whole culture of, of accept all things, don't challenge leadership, or you will be removed, not the problem will be removed. Yeah, it's difficult to understand it. And it's difficult to understand the meaning of that retaliation. Like, I thought we were all in this together. It's sad. It's confusing. The retaliation also creates a fear of disclosure, too. When people aren't able or when they're still in the process of deprogramming, it's very hard to trust your instincts and to know who to trust. And that's a huge recipe for disaster. It really is. And I think we've said a long time and I think if you come from a culture that this was the way things were then of course you don't want to speak to an outsider once you've been harmed by an institution it becomes very difficult to trust any institution at all with your secrets or your power facing retaliation for speaking up or even just simple honesty is a tactic of Carl's we heard in the documentary but this tactic isn't unique to Carl we saw other tactics of cover-up and coercion used by Hillsong, like hush money to Frank Houston's victim, Brett Sengstock. But now, as the barrier of coerced silence grows thinner around Hillsong, whistleblowers are breaking through. And to better understand how Hillsong NYC fell from grace, I have to go back to the beginning. I have to look at Hillsong's long and controversial history in Australia, so I'm tracking those whistleblowers down. It was referred to as uh, Christian-based rehab. It's it's not. It's a Hillsong indoctrination camp with a with a mild interest in rehabilitation. And I'm thinking, oh my god, is this Jonestown? Frank was basically using gay conversion therapy uh, in a way that was really uh, sexual abuse. The concept of the kingdom, the church building a kingdom. I was prepared to do things that were against my conscience. We had to protect the kingdom and the church at all costs. 